You're listening to Formby Podcast. In this podcast, we're with Chris Hunter. He's a ranger at National Trust Formby. He knows all about the woodland plan. That's plans for the pine woods to keep them healthy, to keep them well. In this podcast, he explores and explains all the different trees, the types of trees and the plans for the woods. So tell me about your walks and talks that you do. Um, well, it was part of, we did quite a lot last year as part of the woodland management plan um, consultation work. So um, in 2021, um, we started writing the, the woodland management plan for Formby. Um, it consisted of basically reviewing the old plan and also updating all of our maps, um, working quite closely with the Forestry Commission as well as Natural England and a variety of other different uh, stakeholders. We um, were obliged, but we also wanted to um, do some consultation work as part of that. And uh, we spent basically most of August in 2021 doing lots of consultation work. So we led lots of walks and talks um, at both car parks. Um, we did a drop-in session at the library every week for three weeks where people could come to us and talk about, well, ask questions about what we were um, hoping to do over the next decade because that's how long the woodland plan lasted so we um, yeah we, we basically did a lot of walks and talks um, to try and basically inform as many people as possible about what we're doing educate people about the the sort of the long-term vision for the woodlands and you know help to explain some of the challenges that we face when we're managing a coastline which is rapidly changing next to a, a woodland habitat which obviously doesn't change in its location so the focus is it so it's called the woodland plan uh, it's our woodland management plan, so it's a it's a document which um, details how we are going to manage the woodlands. It's necessary for us to obtain a felling license um, via the Forestry Commission. In order, to, so in order to obtain a ferris, uh, felling license, we need to have a woodland management plan in place to prove that we have some solid management plan um, to uh, to work from. And then the felling license, which um, is granted to us in order to do some of the thinning work, which is associated within that woodland plan, is granted if the woodland plan meets all the criteria that the Forestry Commission um, and Natural England um, have to check. So you have to get almost authority to to cut down and thin trees, to take trees out? Yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's almost as if every tree in Formby woods as in the pine woods has a almost a preservation order or somebody watching it well no in, in the sense of, that we have tpos which are tree preservation orders on four we have four tpos across the whole site um, most of them are on areas which are adjacent to property boundaries um, but effectively because of the the designation of the site which is a, a site of special scientific interest triple si um and to be honest, even without that, um, any tree, that, any any large amount of felling work that you're going to be doing, um, the Forestry Commission have to approve. So you could either apply for a felling license separately um, for every single compartment or every every piece of work that you want to do. The, felling, the Forestry Commission are the regulatory bodies for that, so they then approve it. Or you could go down the route of writing a woodland management plan, which then enlists um, all the things that you're going to be doing over the course of that 10-year cycle. And then you get a sort of an overall felling license to do that that block of work, but because we're a triple SI, there's an extra level of approval that we need to get because of the fact that the triple S because of the fact that the site is a is designated as a triple SI. So that's 
so there's, there's almost two or three layers to the sort of the, the protection of the trees on the site. But interestingly, it's not actually the trees which are the, the reason why the site is protected. Most people assume that it's to do with the red squirrels, but it's actually to do with the, the sand dune system and the, the geomorphology of the site. So part of uh, being in the library is part of the public consultation for your application? Yes, it was, yeah. So um, we wanted to try and share as much information as possible with the community to help them understand why we're managing the woodlands, um, why we need to go through this process, you know, some of the challenges, some of the things we're hoping to do to make the site better for both wildlife and people. So it was basically an opportunity for people to come and meet us, to talk about the plan. We had lots of maps there, lots of um, banners and information about what the, the woodland uh, management plan will entail. Um, so the idea is just to basically open ourselves up and be really transparent about what we're doing because nothing here that we're doing is going to be... Um, negatively affecting our woodlands we're all we're trying to basically manage our woodlands so that it's better for both wildlife and people and unfortunately we've um not had the the management in place um for a, for a long time because we haven't had that felling license so no proactive felling work has taken place over the course of the last 10 years so we're we're moving into a position now where we have the capacity and the resources to be able to do that but there's a bit of catching up work to do so um to try and basically tell people um, up front what we're going to be doing so that people aren't shocked when they see a few trees coming down over the course of the winter months. And that is massive because everybody is always, everybody hates change. Yeah. And to see a tree coming down that is 120 years old is the average pine tree. Yeah, some of them are about 120 at their most. Um, we've got some of um, much younger, obviously. The oops, sorry. Um, We've got some trees which are very young so we had some trees planted uh, in the early noughties so there's some which are you know less than 20 years old there's obviously trees which are um, regenerating themselves um, so we have a variety of different ages but certainly most of our trees are in the sort of more mature part of their life, life cycle so as part of our woodland management plan we'll be doing some planting work to try and basically balance that age cycle out so that in say 100 years time we've not just got lots of dead trees and hardly any young ones coming through but we do have a sort of a, a balance because of the nature, well, because of the species which we've got on site, we've got Scots pines and Corsican pines as our main two species, neither of which would be found on the coast or found um, in this part of the country. So in order to try and continue the, the woodland and keep it as a coniferous woodland, which is better for red squirrels, we need to try and maintain the species diversity, but we also need to try and maintain the age structure without having trees. Well, we've got trees here which don't ordinarily um, self-seed because of the fact that they don't grow in this location normally so we have to basically try and almost re-establish a, a, a you know plantations which will help to balance that 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 sort of woodland age structure does that make sense that <laughs> makes lots of sense can you just run through the the type of trees that we would have would you know something like that of the type of trees growing in formby that we have the different flavors of conifer are they conifers? Pine trees? So we have 75% of our, our woodlands as conifer species, so they're, they're evergreen, they, they keep their needles all year round. 25% are deciduous or broadleaf, and they are ones which um, would lose their leaves in the, in the autumn. So the coniferous species that we've got, as I said, we've got Scots pine and the Corsican pine, they're the two main species, but we also have a species called lodgepole pine, uh, maritime pine, um, and I think those are pretty much the main four. And then in terms of deciduous species, we've got lots of sycamore, we've got oak, we've got beech, we've got something called grey poplar, which we've got a lot of. Um, what other trees do we have? Turkey oak we have, hazel in some places. What's a turkey oak? 
Uh, it's a slightly different um, species to oak. Um, it's okay. just another variety of oak. There's not just one oak tree, there's a variety of different oak trees. So if I was describing the four main um, pine trees that we have growing in the woodlands at Formby, how would I know that I'm standing underneath a Corsican pine? So the Corsican pines tend to be slightly greyer, the bark tends to be slightly greyer. They also grow quite straight and tall. The, Scot the Scots pines don't tend to grow as straight and they also have a more reddish hue to the bark. So, you know, standing from comparing one to the other, you will be able to probably tell the difference. But often, you know, if you weren't, if you didn't have one to compare it to, you might not be able to. But the, the best way to, to look at them um, as, a, as a Joe blogs, really, to, to sort of try and ID them is to look at um, whether or not it's got a sort of a reddish hue. If it's kind of if the bark is a little bit orangey, then it tends to be a Scots pine. Uh, and if it's a bit more gnarled as well and a bit more sort of curvy, then it also might will be a Scots pine. If it's more straighter and the, the bark is sort of more browny grey, then it'll be a Corsican pine. So if I look up into the tree canopy and I see a red hue, that's a Scots pine. Yeah, on the trunk, the, the, the trunk of the, uh, the tree, as opposed to in the canopy. But I mean, the, the branches will also be red as well. So a Corsican pine is slightly greyer in terms of its um, bark and it tends to grow quite straight and they also tend to grow taller than the Scots pines do in this habitat. So that's probably the best way to be able to distinguish between the Scots and the Corsican is by looking at the size, by looking how straight it is and the colour of the bark. And the lodgepole pine? Yeah, the lodgepole pine we don't have a lot of. Um, we've got a little bit of it north of site. Um, that's, that's quite different again. It's more curvy, but the bark is tend to be a bit browner. Um, there are sl slight differences in the shape of the needles or the size of the needles and also the pine cones as well. Um, but that's just, you know, it's quite hard to tell if you're looking at a tree um, from the ground um, if it's in the canopy. And what about the ones that have the big pine cones, the really big pine cones yeah. that you have, probably over more in English nature sort of area? Yeah, so that's, um, that's, that's probably the maritime pine. So the maritime pine has really, really large pine cones and the bark is much more sort of scaled and, and flaky. It's very, very thick. Um, and yeah, the scales are much larger, whereas the bark of the Corsican, the Scots and the lodgepole doesn't tend to be as chunky and as thick. Um, the, the scales of the bark, I guess, are slightly closer together. So you can identify a maritime pine quite quite easily compared to some of the others just by the, by, just by the size of the, the, sort of the, the bark scales. So when you're replanting, will you be replanting all four of these species? It depends. When we come to replant, we, we're not going to make any decisions now. The only reason that, um, but the only the sort of the clear decision that we've made is to try and plant conifer species, ideally pine species, because we want to try and obviously favour the, the types of trees which um, are better for red squirrels. However, there's unfortunately lots of um, things to take into consideration when you're doing planting. Um, climate change is obviously the big one. What we plant now, we need to think about in what's the climate going to be like in 100 years time when we expect this tree to make it to maturity. And by all by all sort of uh, guesses and, and, and estimates, we're probably going to be living in a much warmer climate and the coast is going to be much more stormy, um, higher sea levels. So we're going to be having to sort of take into consideration all those different things. Um, we also have to consider things like tree pests and diseases. So depending on what the best sort of scientific evidence out there is, at the time that we come to, to order the trees and to plant them, um, we need to take that into consideration because there's some species which are being affected by tree pests in the UK at the moment, which we think might actually struggle to survive here. Um, so that's something we have also have to consider. But ideally we'd be looking to plant coniferous species um, 
but with perhaps some deciduous in there as well. And when I look at the pine trees today, they were all planted in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So the average tree in the Formby Woods today would be about 100 years old, 120 years old? No, because there's been plantings which have happened over the course of the last century. Um, so, you know, we've had we had a lot of tree planting done, like you say, in the 1800s and, and early 1900s. But then there's been a lot of plantations which were established in 1910, 1940, 1950, 1960. So um, there's quite an age structure there. And then obviously in the last sort of 30 years, we did quite a lot of planting in the 90s and the early noughties. And then we're hoping to do a little bit more planting over the course of the next 10 years as well. So that's trying to sort of balance that age structure out. But... I mean, if you took an average of all pine trees across site, you'd probably be looking at somewhere between sort of 60 and 70 years old. If you tried to obviously average out the, the younger trees compared to some of those really mature ones, there's also a lot more younger trees because that's part of the thinning cycle is that you plant more trees than you expect to make to maturity. So the the idea is that why, when you plant a woodland uh, compartment, you plant it at a density often of sort of between five or ten times as many trees as you'd expect to make to maturity those trees compete against each other they sort of help to buffer the the impacts of the wind as well and they protect each other and by planting more of them you then basically help them to compete against each other to reach for the light uh, after about 20 years maybe even 25 30 years depending on how the trees are doing you look to start a thinning thinning process and that would involve taking out some of the weaker trees or the ones which are basically shading out a lot of the other ones and that would start at something around about 30 percent so every sort of five to ten years, you take out 30% of those trees. And by the time they're probably maybe 60, 70 years old, you then start to reduce that percentage down and also reduce the amount of time that you thin it. Because obviously you're starting to lose a lot more trees by doing 30%. Um, so the and idea... When you're starting talking in 20 and 30 year cycles, it actually goes quite quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you sort of, you think that stuff that you've planted in the 70s is now 60 years old, yeah, yeah. 50 years old. Yeah, 50 years old. So a 50-year-old tree, is when does it start producing pine cones? Uh, I think it depends on the species. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's around the sort of 25-year-old age. So around that age is, is one, of the re- that's one of the reasons why we'd look to do those thinning, those thinning processes because by taking some of those trees out, we're giving the other trees the opportunity to basically utilise more, more of the space and the light within those compartments or within those plantations so they can then put more energy into their root system they can put more energy into producing more pine cones and that's basically the key reason why we'll be looking to do a lot of that thinning work across the woodland um, which in places is much too dense to try and produce more light and more space for the other trees to avoid them having to compete with each other and then they'll be able to put more energy and more strength into their root system and also into producing more pine, cone, pine cones which is obviously the, the favoured food for red squirrels. And how how long does a pine tree last? How what's the longest you can? How what's the oldest pine tree we have? Um, probably some of the ones which were planted in the in the late eighteen hundreds. So you know we're looking at probably sort of one hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty years old. Um, I mean, that's the oldest ones we have. But how how long does a, a pine tree? It, again, it depends on the species and the conditions. But I mean, there's there's dwarf pines in America, which are the oldest trees in the world, and they're eight thousand years old. So. Um, so, you know, it depends on the species, but for some of ours, I'd expect them probably to make about 150, 200 years at absolute maximum um, in, in the right conditions. So, arguably, there's another 30 years in some of these pine... Well, these aren't the right conditions for them. Oh, I see. So, they, yeah. so they've done well to last this length of time. Yeah, because it's, you know, obviously, as, as I'm sure, well, perhaps people don't, don't realise necessarily, is that, you know, just dig three inches into the ground in the woodlands and you're straight into sand. 
you know, these trees were all planted on sand dunes. They were planted to protect the asparagus fields. They were planted as a timber crop. They've all been planted here for a, for a reason, um, and that reason is not natural. So ordinarily, the sand dune system would have extended much further inland than what we've currently got. We can tell that by we looking looking at some of the woodlands on the furthest eastern side of our boundary, where you've got the old sand dune sort of topography of the landscape. Um, dig three inches down, and you're straight into an old sand dune. So. So when you're talking about that, are you talking towards Ainsdale? Would that be the system, the, the dune system that Formby would have had? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the dune system that we've got further south and the dune system that we've got further north, you get... Um, so when the beach ends, you have something called the dune toe, which is basically the... the um, it's the it's the bottom of the dunes before it meets the beach. And then you have the four dunes, and then you go back into the sort of more... Um, yeah, the, the, the more stable areas of the dune system into dune grassland and then further back you'd move into dune heath and then you know even further back you'd then start to turn into things like scrub habitat where you get small trees growing but that would be say a mile or so from the coast what's happened here is that these trees have all been planted when the coast was much further away and now the coast is moving moving eastwards as it sort of naturally changes we have a landscape which is now conflicting so we've got something called coastal squeeze which is taking place so that is basically where the coastline is moving eastwards, the trees, the town of Formby as well obviously is staying exactly where it is because it has foundations, it has root systems, but what's happening is as that coastline is moving eastwards, um, the sand dune system which is which is our, our priority habitat, that's the really rare habitat, that's where a lot of our really rare species live, that's being squeezed effectively, so that's where some of the work within the woodland management plan will take place to try and basically allow that sand dune system to, to move and to adapt and to try and to move through these woodlands as best it can. Unfortunately, the days of some of the woodlands which are furthest westwards are numbered. Um, the, the sand dune system will move. It will it'll move slower um, and it will be squeezed and it will kill the trees which the sand dune system meets. Um, and there's not much we can really do about that other than try to allow those two, two habitats to coexist as best as we can. Um, so that's like gypsy wood that you had that fell yeah. into the... Yeah, there's yeah. quite a lot of lovely songs about gypsy wood. Yeah. And that's just the system just moving completely. Yeah, I mean, in places it, it moves eastwards, in places it moves westwards. So, you know, it erodes in certain places and it accretes in certain places. And that's all dependent on things like prevailing winds, the sediment supply from the coast, things which, um, you know, the, the ability, the not the ability, sorry, but the... Um, the availability of things in the in the sort of in the four dunes which will trap sand. So unfortunately, you can get things like sand sheets, which are when a huge area of sand moves because it's got nothing to 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 stop to to sort of um, hold it in place. So marram grass acts to basically hold some of that sand dune in place. So here at Formby Point, around where the nicotine waste is, that's pretty much our furthest westwards point, and that's where we're finding most of our erosion happening, and it's basically being spread further north and further south. So down towards Raven Bells, we're actually seeing that the, the coastline is accreting. And up towards Ainsdale, the coastline's accreting. Obviously up towards Birkdale as well. Is secreting? Accreting. Accreting? Accreting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, accreting, uh, which is basically when the coastline moves, or the coastline is, is growing or it's moving westwards in our case. So erosion is when obviously the coastline is moving um, further away from the sea, and accretion is when the coastline is moving towards the sea. And in Formby, where is it moving towards the sea? Further south, towards uh, towards Range Lane and towards Ravenmells. Um, there's different species there, things like lime grass which are growing, and the, the basically the sand is being redistributed along the coast, and that's where the coastline is moving towards the sea. That's why when you sit at, um, by at the bottom of sort of 
raven mells if you go down that yeah. sort of part of the form over by where the boathouse a bit further round yeah. is that why the sea is so far out there uh that's just uh, the nature of the the coastline how it's spread and when the tide comes in um obviously the mersey channel pops out there as well so that'll be affecting things i think they've they've i think we're pretty certain that the dredging of the mersey channel which happened um a few years well many years ago um that's affected the sediment supply which then potentially will affect the the almost the cycle at which the coastline moves and changes if you look at sort of aerial photography over the last sort of century or so or aerial maps um you can see how much the coastline has changed and what used to be a quite a uh, quite a sharp point is now becoming much more of a sort of a, a softer almost bracket shaped um coastline so yeah the the coastline is moving sort of all the time and that's just the natural process of coastal change the the challenges that we have is looking at how that coastal change is affecting our woodland habitat and also the sand dune habitat because of the things which um, have happened over the course of the last century with all the planting that's taken place and all the leveling of, for the asparagus fields so woodland walks you do if you do yes. all the woodland walks uh, yes uh, i led about uh, 10 15 last year um, and we'll be planning to basically do that again this year and every year as part of the woodland management plan one of those key objectives within the plan is to do a lot more engagement work about our woodlands we know how passionate people of people the people of formby are about the woodland habitat here and you know it's our responsibility to try and engage with those people and share as much information as possible to help them learn about the reasons why we're managing the woodland in this way and some of the really interesting and special things about our woodlands and why we should really celebrate them. So if I want to come on a woodland walk, when do you have a woodland walk? So we'll be doing most of them towards the end of the summer. So we'll be looking sort of August, September time. Um, the idea is that we can give people the opportunity to learn about the woodlands um, prior to the felling work taking place during the winter months. So any felling work that we'll be doing, unless it's tree safety orientated, um, will only happen between the months of sort of October till sort of the end of February, March. So it's during the time when the trees are dormant and also when um, birds aren't nesting in the trees and obviously it's quieter, um, so it won't affect visitors as much. So all that winter work will happen in the winter, all the felling work, sorry, will happen in the winter months and we'll have um, lots of walks and talks planned prior to that to help people learn about what we're going to be doing and help them um, understand it. So a walk is something that I have to, do I have to book onto the walk or do you have them where we just turn up? Or? In the past, we've not um, asked people to book on. Um, we're, we're quite you know, happy that the, the numbers shouldn't be too unmanageable. Um, last time we did it, I think the biggest group we had was about 15 to 20. Um, if, we, if we found that a lot of the walks becoming really, really popular and you know, we were getting numbers of more than that, which then becomes quite challenging to, to try and manage, um, we would probably look to try and introduce some sort of booking system, but in the meantime, we haven't managed to, you know, we haven't we haven't come to that yet. We we found that actually just by putting on a number of regular walks and talks spreads that sort of interest across over the course of a month or so, so that it means that we don't have any sort of peak um, opportunities for for lots of people to arrive and and come on the same walk. And these are all free. These walks, are they? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, they're all free. Yeah. And where's the talks? So uh, yeah, the the walk and talk is 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 one entity. It's one. Uh, it's one. It's one. Oh, I don't come uh, to a church hall while you sit and do a talk and slides. No, no, no. We 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 we're, the idea is that people can experience it when they come to the walk. When they come to the walk, so we'll go for a little walk somewhere, and then we'll stop on the way and talk about some of the the areas that we're looking at, and explain some of the things that we're going to be doing. And each winter, we'll look to try and well, each autumn, sorry, we'll look to try and uh, tailor the walks and talks around the areas that we're going to be focusing on that year. So within part of the woodland plan, we have separate, um, well, we have all the different compartments, all the different plantations. There'll be um, 
the, the program of works will will delineate which year we're going to be doing that work so the idea is that in the autumn we'll try and tailor the walks to those specific areas so that people are aware of what's going to be happening in those areas as opposed to learning about somewhere on the north side of site when actually all the funding works happening in the south side of site uh, that, 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 that winter. Thanks to Chris Hunter and the National Trust Formby. It's so informative and it's just great to hear exactly what's happening with the management plan. Next, we have Stephen Gerrard singing his song, Gypsy Wood. See you next time. I knew a special place called Gypsy Wood I walked her paths as often as I could From when I was young to when I grew old I loved her seasons, I watched them unfold Gypsy Wood stood close to the sea And every high tide rose dangerously Time went by, nothing could be done Sea came in, took the trees, took them one by one Just a memory of old Gypsy Wood Where the birds once sang In the branches high above The robin and wren Snow-white turtle dove I walked one summer there With my very first love Formby Podcast is an independent production. It comes to you free. If you'd like us to tell your story, or you know of a story, contact us at formbypodcast at gmail.com. See you next time.